ask you to open your Bibles with me to our study of the book of Romans. We've been challenged over the last several weeks as we have been studying through this book. And we've been challenged concerning the ever-raging battle for how mankind can have a right relationship with God. How mankind can be okay with God who is righteous. That really is the thesis underlying all that Paul says in the book of Romans. The Spirit of God through Paul gives the answer to the lifelong question and quest of all men. It doesn't matter whether you want to honestly admit that you're on that quest or not. The reality is that all men are, and they are asking the question, how can they go to heaven and be in the presence of a holy and righteous God and not be eternally judged by Him? This is the question that all men have and they are seeking an answer for, and it has been the question of all men throughout history. In evangelicalism, the typical answer will come in this form. When someone asks that question, how can I be right before a holy God? The typical answer comes in this kind of way, that the only way to be right with God is through the message of the gospel. Through the message of the gospel. And each one of us here who knows Jesus Christ, each one of us here who has been in evangelicalism or around the church for any length of time, not our heads in agreement with that kind of statement. And yet over the centuries, that very statement concerning the gospel has been redefined and even unfortunately reinvented. It has been repackaged, redefined in so many different ways so that Much of what is now spoken under the guise of being the gospel is not the gospel at all. In fact, it is a counterfeit of the most deceptive kind. And I fear, as a pastor and as a Christian, I fear that there are many possibly even among a group this size here in this church today, there are many who have been lulled into believing that they have a true relationship with God when in fact they have merely bought off on the damning imitation which in the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 7 is just really not another gospel at all. It's only a distortion of the true gospel of Christ. And it is because of this and the fact that it is even rampant in our own day that I have been stating to us all along that we as Christians are at war for the gospel. We are at war for what is true about the gospel. Not a war in the way to get the gospel out to people. We don't have difficulty necessarily with that, but we are in a war to make sure that what is given as gospel 
is in fact the gospel of God and not some cheap counterfeit. The only way to ensure that that is taking place is for each and every one of us to know just what the true gospel of God is. The only way to identify the counterfeits is to measure them up against what is true and right, and we must know what is true and right. And it is in the laying out of that argument that the Apostle Paul begins to lay out the gospel where God begins. It's God's gospel after all. Paul said that in chapter 1 in the first few verses. This is God's gospel. It isn't Paul's gospel. It isn't your gospel. It isn't my gospel. It is God's gospel. And so Paul begins where God begins. He begins by uncovering for all of us the ugly truth concerning man. Listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 18 and reading down to verse 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them because God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. You see, when it comes to the gospel of God, we must begin with a correct understanding of mankind. If you want to confuse the gospel, if you want to uncover a counterfeit, then start right there. We have to have a correct understanding of mankind. And I need to say this as boldly as I can. If we as Christians refuse, if we refuse through our own ignorance or through our own outright rebellion against God, if we refuse to lock that presuppositional truth in our minds, if we refuse to think about the understanding of the true nature of man, then we will be confused at best when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to discerning the real gospel from the counterfeit that are all around us and permeated even in, sadly, evangelicalism today, Our attempts to evangelize will be, if we don't have that locked in our minds, our attempts to evangelize will be continually man-centered rather than what they should be, and that is God-centered. When we try to tell other people about the gospel, we will start with man-centered thinking. And so we must understand that the foundational truth that Paul It's laying clearly out for us in this text is this. All men 
stand confirmed in their guilt before a holy God. And therefore, God's wrath upon them is justified. Let me say that again. All men, all of humanity, every single one of us before Christ who sits here today, all men stand confirmed in their guilt before God. And therefore, God's wrath upon them is justified. This is a fundamental truth within Scripture that must not be passed over. It cannot be softened in any way. Why? Because the implications of that truth affect everything that you and I say and everything we do within Christianity, particularly when it comes to the evangelistic efforts that we are commanded to have before people. Listen, any attempt to reach man with the gospel of God that skips over or leaves out or softens in any kind of way man's complete spiritual deadness and spiritual lostness before God is a false gospel. If you're writing that down, I'll say it again for you. Any attempt to reach man with the gospel of God that skips over or leaves out or softens in any way man's complete spiritual deadness and spiritual lostness before God is a false gospel. I want you to have that in your minds because it doesn't matter who it is that's presenting the gospel. It doesn't matter what is behind it by way of tradition or by way of orthodoxy within evangelicalism. If it is man-centered in any way, it is not of God. Now, I don't know how any more clearly that can be said except to quote the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1. It doesn't matter who presents it. Here's how Paul said it. Even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Throw out all of humanity and get into the angelic realm. Even if an angel comes and appears before you and starts to tell you something other than the true gospel, let them be accursed. In other words, it doesn't matter who comes to tell you this, even if they say they are from God. Even if their, their methods are seemingly true and they deny the true gospel that we have taught you, which is according to God's gospel as God gave it in God's way. If that happens, Paul says, we are to categorically reject it. We are not simply then to simply say that's not true. We are to then even expose it for what it is. That's why Paul says that. Paul says they are anathema. They are delivered over to divine wrath. That's what anathema means. Delivered over to divine wrath. So Paul is very serious in his words. The eternity of souls are at stake here. 
When you're dealing with someone, when you're talking with someone concerning the gospel, you need to think of it with that severity. You need to think of it with that reality. Their soul is at stake here. Their soul is at stake. And it's one thing for us to to easily distinguish blatant error. That's easy enough. I mean, when it's blatant error, we can see that from 100 miles away. But it's more difficult to distinguish those things which look and sound like gospel but are not gospel. The only way to tell those things that are not gospel is to truly know the characteristics of the real gospel. Know God's gospel as He gave it and never detour from that track. That's exactly what Paul wants us to know as he begins. And he begins by providing us first with a correct view of man. That's that's where we're starting. This this correct view of of mankind. This really is for all of us a look back prior to salvation, but for some of us who aren't saved, they look at reality right now. This is who man is without Christ. This is where we must begin. It has to begin that way because if you believe that man in some way, no matter how small, no matter how little, no matter how subtle, is inherently good, then you will in fact adjust the gospel to accommodate that reality. So Paul tells us that God is continually in a state of wrath against man. And the question we began to answer last Lord's Day was, is God's wrath against man justified? Is the wrath of God justified? We began to ask that question because some over the ages, even some today, have leveled the claim that if God is a wrathful God, And if he is angry with all men, as the scriptures say, then it's an unjustified wrath because after all, man is truly inherently good. Man is is good in his nature and if God is holding man guilty, then he has kept something from man. He hasn't been fair with men. He, He hasn't done what he should have done and his guilt, man's guilt, is not fair at all. So is God justified? Well, we began last Lord's Day to look at why God is justified in His wrath from Paul's words here in Romans chapter 1. And you remember that that I gave us another biblical principle that we have to lock in our minds when we meditate upon this doctrine. And the principle is this. God... In his very nature and character is absolutely and perfectly just. God, by his very nature and by his very character, is perfectly just. And therefore, he never condemns unless condemnation is rightly deserved. You have to have that in your mind. You have to have that securely locked there in your mind as a reality and a principle concerning God. God is absolutely perfect in every way, and therefore his justice is perfectly righteous in every way, and therefore he never condemns unless condemnation is rightly deserved. It doesn't matter whether it's physical condemnation. It doesn't matter whether it's spiritual condemnation. No man is condemned by God unless they rightly deserve the wrath. You remember I shared with us the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. 
Achan and all who were knowledgeable of his sin were guilty before God. They were worthy of the wrath of God upon them, no matter how many excuses they wanted to make. And it is the same with all of us and all of humanity. All of humanity stands guilty before God, and all humanity are worthy of his wrath spiritually. And so Paul begins in verses 19 through 23 to give us four reasons why God is justified in his wrath. Verse 1 is the reality itself. God is wrathful against all men. Why? Because they suppress truth. And here are the reasons that his wrath is justified. And we began last week with just the first one. And I'll just reiterate it for us and then cover a few more this morning. Reason number one was divine exposure. Divine exposure. In other words, God has revealed himself. We might even say it this way. The invisibleness of God has been made visible to all men. Verses 19 and 20. Why is God wrathful? Why is the unrighteousness seen through the suppression of truth? What truth has men suppressed? This is it. The evidence of God. Because that which is known about God, verse 19, is evident within them. Well, how did that happen? God himself made it evident to them. God did that in the very reality of his creation. The very forming of you in the womb and the day you were born. The evidence of God's reality was there. Verse 20 says, since the creation of the world, those invisible attributes, his invisible attributes. What is that? His divine power. And or divine nature and eternal power have been clearly seen. Well, how is that? Because they're understood through what was made. Just look around you. They scream of God. Look in the mirror. You scream of God. So that all men are without excuse. God is justified because of his divine revelation. There isn't a soul alive today or who has ever lived in history that can rightly, rightly and justifiably level the accusation before God that they do not know of him. No one. Not the person living on the most remote island in the world. No one. Why? Because God himself has revealed his invisibleness to every person through what he's made. David, the psalmist in Psalm 19, says all creation screams with a loud and clear voice for all humanity to hear that God is, that there is in fact a creator and that he is eternally powerful and eternally divine. And just that, just that one truth, that just that reality ought to be enough to make All of creation realize their accountability to this divine one. Every man is guilty when they refuse to recognize God. Every man is personally guilty before a holy God and therefore God is justified in his wrath. But Paul doesn't stop there. That's just step one. Paul gives three more reasons that prove God is justified in his wrath. And all these reasons begin to show the result of that rejection. 
the outcome of that reality of God's divine invisibleness being visible and man suppressing it in his own unrighteousness. Here's the results that begin to be seen. Reason number one was divine exposure. Reason number two is this. Man has denounced God. Man has denounced God. God's wrath is justified because man denounces him. Notice verse 21. For even though they knew God. You see, that's a declaration of reality again. All men know God. You cannot escape that reality. You can only deny that reality, but you cannot escape that reality. All men know God. And even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. You see, this, folks, is a fundamental sin of all mankind. The refusal of any of us prior to God saving us, the refusal in spite of God's revelation to us concerning his very nature and very power. In spite of that. Man continues to willfully refuse to give God the acknowledgement and give God the praise that is rightfully due to God. Do not give him honor, it says, nor do they give thanks. Honor means glory. Thanks is acknowledgement. This is the very reason for which God created all things. To praise and acknowledge Him. And yet it is the very thing that all men refuse naturally to do. We have been created for this very purpose and it is the very purpose at the very core of our very nature that refuses To do what it ought. We refuse to give God thanks and honor that is due. There was an evolutionist some years ago that said this in an honest way, which is rather oxymoronic. He said, quote, I refuse to believe in God, so what other alternative do I have but evolution? In other words, it isn't any proof of the theory of evolution as to why I believe in evolution and do not believe in God. In other words, evolution didn't come first and then that was what made me say, well, I don't believe in God anymore. No, it's my refusal to believe in God that moved me to embrace the false theory of evolution. Listen, there are no alternatives. There are no alternatives You either acknowledge that God is and give him glory and the thanks for who he is, or you embrace a God of your own making. Why? Because you refuse God. That's the only alternative. The late preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse observed this about men's rejection of God. And he said, quote, Will God give man brains to see these things and will man then fail to exercise his will toward that God? The sorrowful answer is that both of these things are true. God will give a man brains to smelt iron and make a hammerhead and nails. And God will grow a tree and give man strength to cut it down and 
brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. And when man has a hammer and the nails, God will put out his own hand and let man drive nails through it and place himself on a cross in the supreme demonstration that all men are without excuse. Unquote. Paul says the first thing that men denounce is honor, for even though they knew God, they do not honor him. They refuse to honor God for who he is. That word really literally means glory. Glory. We talk a lot about glory in this church because we we love to honor God. Glory and the glory of God is really the essence, the sum total of who he is. To honor and glorify God, for God to see the glory of God is to to see the, the attributes of God on display. When we see his attributes on display, we get a glimpse of God's glory. So even back in verse 20, in the creation of the world with his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, when they're seen through what he's made, we see the glory of God on display. And when we acknowledge God for who he is, we are exalting him, which means to praise his very character. We are glorifying God when we acknowledge God for who he is, what he's done. When we live according to the commands of God, we we are reflecting his character. Why? Because Christ, incarnate God, lived according to the very commands and and realities of which God had placed there. And so it glorified his father. When we are glorifying God, we live according to the commands which he taught. Others see that character in us and that honors God. I read it this morning, Psalm 29, David, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Remember back when we were studying 1 Corinthians, Paul was dealing with the bickering Corinthian church, and he said this, When then, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Do it to the glory of God. Do it to the honor and reflection of the very character and nature of God. That doesn't matter if you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, something so mundane, so, so nonsensical in one sense. Do it to the honor and glory of God. That reality has been understood through the whole history of the church. We live to the glory of God. Even the divines who put together the Westminster Catechism said, what is the chief end of man? That's the number one question. What is the chief end of man? In other words, why were you created? What's the purpose of you on this earth? And the answer is simply given. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why would those who put the catechism together come to that conclusion? Because that's what the scriptures command. I'm always amazed when I look at the Old Testament, particularly in the times when the Israelites were wandering through the desert. Especially in Leviticus, the time, the book of holiness, when God continually displays his holiness through various ways and means. Moses is leading the people. His brother Aaron is there, the priest. And, and Aaron's sons are serving in the, the temple and they, 
They serve in a way that God had not commanded them. They do something in which God's name wasn't going to be honored. God's name wouldn't be glorified by their actions. And so God sends fire from the, from the temple and consumes them right there. I'm always amazed at Moses' response to his brother after his nephews were killed by God. Moses said this in Leviticus 10 verse 3. It is what the Lord spoke. Say, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of people who have lost loved ones and I've never heard someone say something like that when they see their own nephew consumed by God. It is as the Lord spoke. First Chronicles 16, I read it last week. I think it's profitable to hear it again. David declares, beginning in verse 24, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. Why? Why are we to fear God above all gods? Well, at the very base level is this. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You see, all the other idols of the world, all the other man-made gods are worthless things. They do nothing. They hear nothing. They say nothing. They can help no one. And yet God, the Lord, our God, made the heavens. He made all that we see. He made Himself known. His invisibleness is clearly seen. So ascribe to the Lord glory to His name. So for man to refuse to give God glory, to honor Him as He is due, is the ultimate affront to God. And so God is justified in His wrath. We have been created in His image. We have been created as an offspring and it is our purpose to bring Him glory. Yet Paul says all men have denounced this. They denounce to give Him glory. They do not honor Him as God. And tragically, it does not stop there. As if that wasn't enough, as if that shouldn't have us just frightened beyond measure right before a holy God and asking for mercy. Men not only denounce God's glory, but they, are, they also refuse to thank Him. They don't honor Him as God or give thanks. You see, man's refusal to acknowledge the character of God is shown to be Worse, by an ungrateful heart. Men refuse to give glory of God, and so the outcome of that is unthankfulness. Even though the book of Acts tells us that God is the giver of all things, especially every good thing, tells us He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust, And yet, even in the mundane things of life, as if rain falls out of the sky in its own means, natural man, left to his own sinful nature, is nothing but ungrateful to God for his gift. Why? Because he fails to acknowledge that God is 
you're going to have faith, you must first believe that God is, Hebrews 11 says. Because man refuses to believe that God is, he's ungrateful about all things. So I hope you see the spiraling effect. One is the natural outcome of the other. Unthankfulness, think about your own life, unthankfulness is an expression of godless thinking. Next time you're unthankful for something that God has allowed in your life and even provided in a direct way in your life and you're just unthankful for that, remember unthankfulness is the expression of godless thinking. So Paul says the spiral downward just keeps going farther and farther. Those who cease to glorify God cease to thank Him. In other words, that's their new state of being. They are foolish. Foolish in their thinking and they become even more spiritually darkened and further enslaved to sin. You see that? For even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. That's their thinkings, their thoughts, their, their reasonings. They're worthless in their reasonings and their foolish heart is darkened. You see, nothing can be worse. Nothing is getting better. Nothing's worse than to reject the only reality there is. Nothing's worse than that. The only thing that gives any kind of meaning to life at all, the only thing that brings any purpose at all, the only thing through which we can have any understanding is God. To refuse God and have His truth guide your life, the only result is an absolute inability to think clearly, to reason clearly about anything. Why? Because without God, nothing has meaning. One man said it this way, quote, To forsake God is to exchange truth for falsehood, meaning for hopelessness, satisfaction for emptiness, unquote. To refuse God is to refuse any kind of idea in which you can make any decisions in a right way. The foolish heart that denounces God and dishonors Him does not become free. Listen, young people, when you turn 18 and say, I'm throwing off my mom and dad's... uh, Ways I'm not going to do what they want. Anybody else here who's thrown that off and said, I'm going to do it my way. Listen, you do not become free by denouncing and dishonoring God. What you do is become further entangled in sin. That's what happens. You are not more free. You are more slave. Because when you reject the light that God has given you, The only thing left to you is sinful spiritual darkness. That's why Paul says they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They only become more and more dark. Spiritual darkness, every moral perversion always go together. Where there's spiritual darkness, there is always Moral corruption. A godless philosophy of life leads only to godless and immoral action in life. 
And why? It's because you've denounced God. You've denounced God. You said, you're, I'm going to do things my way. It's, it's the way I want to do things. God isn't really real. Oh, sure, you may give some tacit acknowledgement that God is, but you haven't followed Him. You haven't pursued Him. And so because of your lack of pursuit, you're really saying God is non-existent. I'm God. So in reality, you've simply denounced Him, and so His wrath is justified. It's justified because He has exposed Himself to you. It's justified because you have denounced God. Let me give us a third reason. A third reason why God's justice is justified, why His wrath is absolutely justified, and that is this. Because of man's elevation of self. Man's elevation of self. Verse 22, they professed to be wise. They became fools. In other words, in their professing, in their professions about their own self. You see, God has clearly made Himself known to all men and all mankind, know Him, and yet willfully refuse to glorify Him, willfully refuse to thank Him as the one true God, and because of that they become further entrapped in their own sinfulness and in an attempt to appease the guilt of their conscience, which is ringing loud and clear like a bell in a church. They profess to be wise. When in fact, they are simply fools. In fact, I would even go as far to say that their profession of wisdom is a reality of their foolishness. Because anyone who rightly acknowledges God and who rightly seeks to follow God and God brings the gospel and they hear of Jesus Christ to continually to reject that and say that you know better is the epitome of your foolishness. Even though you say you're wise. King David said in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. We know that the things of the spiritual realm are beyond comprehension for the natural man. 2 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. He cannot understand them. God has to open his eyes and yet the, the general revelation, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. And yet, even though man professes to know all wisdom, he is a fool. Even though man in his perceived wisdom spews out philosophies concerning all kinds of things, especially concerning how he came about and the origins of man and the purpose for why we exist, even though humanity speaks of lofty things about our de destiny and where we're headed for life and the meaning of the universe in which we live, even though all of that, and they sound erudite, the reality is they're just fools. Fools. They have no true understanding at all, and yet, many, here's the sad reality, many, many of those who say those things and who believe those things are professing believers. And many who have received it and begin to believe it are believers. Gifted and articulate unbelievers have been for so long spewing out lies about how the universe came into existence. They have flooded books with scientific theories. 
that even some who are truly saved are being duped by it. Believing the lies of which fly under the guise of what is known as theistic evolution or progressive creationism. Those are just titles of foolishness. Those are just big words that say God may have started it all, but then he left it alone so it could evolve on its own. Listen, not only are those theories a compromise of scientific integrity, I mean, if you want to just get at a base level, even on a scientific level with scientific integrity, those are a, a, a counterfeit of all of that and a compromise to all of that. But even more importantly than that, they are disastrous compromises of what God's revealed word says. And people yet all over the globe are accommodating the intellectual foolishness of the world. You say, how so? Because they subtly and outright accept the words of worldly answers rather than resting on the unchanged, undiluted truth of what God says. They have changed what speaks to them with authority. Listen, the world thinks itself to be wise They have elevated themselves as if they are wise. They have professed to be wise, but in reality they are fools. Why? Because their speculations, their futile reasonings cannot and will not ever replace the revelation of God that they reject. Their reasonings, their their outcomes, their their foolish uh, calculations and all of these kinds of things never will replace what God has already shown them to be true and right. The greatest fool in the world is a person who exchanges God's wisdom for for that which leads to life, to, to man's wisdom which only leads to further darkness and eternal damnation. That's the greatest fool. Is the wrath of God justified? Can any man realistically level a complaint against God for his wrath upon them? The only answer the scripture gives us is absolutely not. God has made himself known to all men. And all men have willfully denounced God. And they have refused to give him the honor and thanks that is due his name. And because they have refused to acknowledge God as who he is and give him the glory and honor and thanks that is due his name, man appeases his only guilty conscience by making grand claims about where he came from. And about how he got here in this existence. And he claims to have all the wisdom when in reality he's just a fool. By the way, you may not know this, but the word for fool in the original language is morino. Wisdom is skilled knowledge, skilled and outworking of understanding. Right? That's wisdom. Uh, 
wisdom, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7 says to us. So the beginning of skilled living, the, the living that, that is right and that honors God begins with a fear of God that, to say and understand that God is and that God has shown Himself and that you are accountable to a holy God. And yet the opposite side of that is that the fool says in his heart there is no God. In other words, the moron. The ugly truth is that man in his natural way that refuses God is just a moron. Man's wisdom without God is moronic. Divine exposure, the denouncing of God, and the elevation of self. There's a fourth reason why God is justified in His wrath. I'm just going to give it to us this morning and then we'll cover it next time. The fourth reason that God is justified is because of man's religion. Man's religion. Notice verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The inevitable outcome of rejecting God is idolatry. Idolatry. Worship of self. And so the spiral of humanity before God is not an ascension to God. See, man, man preaches that. Man proclaims that. A godless humanity says, oh, we're getting better. The world's good. The world's going to get better. We've got to save this place because everything's going to be good. And we'll, we'll finally reach the point of nirvana. We'll finally reach the place where everything's so good that we'll be living in some kind of humanistic utopia. That's what man says. We're ascending And yet, when you open the Word of God and you read about the reality of what man actually is, it's not an ascension at all. It's rather a descension. Why? Because all men have rejected God. Rejected God. That is the ugly truth. It's the ugly, necessary truth. So when we share the gospel, we have to start there. We have to start there. We have to start with the ugly truth. And if we're going to understand and share that with others, then we have to understand the true gospel of God. And that's where it begins. It begins at the ugly truth. All men are guilty before God because all men have rejected God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time this morning, even this short time in your word. Thank you for the penetrating reality that it is to our heart. When we read these words, it's easy for us to sit at a distance and think, oh, humanity is such a bad thing. When in fact, before your grace and mercy, we were all part of that humanity. Speaking about us. This isn't some distant people. This is us. And were it not for grace, we'd be doing the same thing. We wouldn't be here. And yet, by your grace, chosen to save, you've shined mercy upon many. 
And Lord, I know in this group, for sure, there are some who do not know you. Sitting here thinking, oh yeah, I know God, and they live like the world. Some who have rejected God, never even claimed to know him, are here this morning. Lord, maybe they've heard me, and they've thought in their mind, yeah, whatever, just another mouth. Just another religious word. Lord, we pray. Pray that they would have their eyes opened. That you would, in fact, arrest their very heart. That you would draw them to yourself. Convict them of their sinfulness for not acknowledging you and honoring you. Cause them to see their sin before you as an affront to who you are. Lord, open their ears to the gospel of Jesus Christ that only in him is their salvation. There's no way, any other way. And Lord, may this day be a day where they no longer reject you, but by your grace are caused to embrace you. Thank you for saving those here who genuinely know Christ. Thank you for the faithfulness of you to us that we might in turn be faithful to you. Help us to glorify your name, honor you in all that we do and say. All God's people said, Amen.